The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Good morning. A new year together, a new season of the church here. We call it Epiphany. Epiphany really means manifestation, revelation. It, it means like this this great religious, spiritual awakening to know just who Jesus is. And, and one of the best ways to do that, and the, and the church has done this, that the church will look at the great miracles of Jesus so that we can understand who it is, this baby who, who was born in a manger. We're going to do that in a special way this year. As this year, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark. So, Instead of trying to come up with some, I don't know, cool or hip sermon series title, this is what I came up with. It's direct. It it just says what we're going to do. This is kind of how I do it now. We're going to do a sermon series called Miracles in Mark. And throughout the whole, the entire season of Epiphany, we're going to start in Mark chapter five with with a. This is just a precious, precious, precious account this morning. And we're going to do miracles in Mark so that we can know and praise the name of Jesus more and more and more every single week. One thing that, that we're going to work at together then is, is to see that miracles communicate to us so much more than the fact, than the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He is. Jesus is the Son of God. But each of these miracles communicate a different aspect of his concern, his compassion, his love, the way that he intervenes in our life. And, and this morning, we're going, to begin, we're going to begin to see that from, from Mark chapter 5. This particular account from Mark chapter 5, just to kind of set this up, and then we're going to read it. Technically, some of you might appreciate this word. You might learn it in college lit class. This is what we call an intercalation. So this is a, a story within a story. So Jesus is going to start telling one story, or Mark's going to start telling one story. Then he's going to leave that story off and tell another and complete that story. Then he's going to come back and finish the story. So it's called an intercalation. It's called, a, you might think of it as like a sandwich. Like there's the, there's the bread on the one side, then there's the peanut butter, and then there's the bread on the other side. And it's beautiful. The way that stories, when they're linked together like this, and we got to get this, they interpret each other. It's like, it's, it's, this is one of my favorite words, juxtaposition. It's like the sweet and the salt together. It's, it's, the, it's the bitter and the sweet so that we get better. We're going to see why it is that Mark weaves these, these two stories together. Um, and to do that, I, I, just, I want you to listen to the account and notice that, and then we're going to get into the details together. So I'm going to ask you to please stand. And we're going to read this. It's a rather long story, but it is so precious. You're going to fall in love with this story. Uh, we're going to begin with Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. 
please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with them. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When Jesus heard, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that, that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying, crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Mark wants us to meet first the desperate dad. And, and he really was desperate. Like, like any parent, without any of the blinking lights and sophisticated machinery that you have in the hospital, knows when their child is dying. They know it. It, it, it. it might be from, from, from the shallow breathing. Or it, it, it might be because of the loss of appetite for long, long spans of time. Or, or, or it might be, be for other reasons, but, but a dad knows when his daughter is dying. 
And that's the dad that we meet, a desperate dad. He knew it. That, that, that his daughter didn't have even a day left, that, that she had maybe hours or only minutes. And then he hears that Jesus is there. And he thought to himself, I'm going to go get him. Now you got to understand that these ancient towns that, that they were not these this is in New York City like they didn't have to go for miles at a time or 45 minutes on the G train this is a couple of blocks. And so so Jairus that's the name that Mark gives to him Jairus goes to find Jesus just a couple blocks away. And you can see his despair. Mark says he throws himself at Jesus feet And he begins to beg. The Greek says, much. Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Jesus, if you would only come and put your hands on her, you could save her. You could could heal her. He pleads and he begs. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, yes, I will go. And so it, it's this modern-day ambulance moment. This is what this is. It's a modern-day ambulance moment where Jesus puts the lights on and the sirens and, and everybody sets off together just as quick as could be to this little house just a couple blocks away to save Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. And this is the moment that the nameless woman decides it's her moment. It had been a long 12 years for her. Suffice it to say that this this flow of blood was probably not a nosebleed. Probably not. We're not told like what what exactly is this 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 flow of blood, but but probably what we can say and what a lot of people believe is that this is sort of a gynecological problem. Unless I fall into mansplaining, I at least I at least want to talk about this theologically. They had a name for a woman like this, Azeba. So what that meant theologically is that there were certain places that she could not go. There were certain people that she could not touch. It separated her from her husband. And 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 like I really don't want to fall into mansplaining here, but I can only imagine the loss of energy. I can only imagine the discomfort that for 12 long years she suffered. And Mark goes on at length just about everything that she had suffered. Apparently she had gone to every doctor that she could think of. She actually had put her bank account to zero because the medical community had literally bled her dry. And she thinks to herself, Jesus is in town. He's rushing off. I'm not going to detain him, not even for a second. All I want to do is reach out and touch him. And that'll be enough. And she does. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) 
Like, it's just this amazing thing. Like, she reaches out and says, as if Jesus were like this, this incredible electric socket, and, and energy flows out of him and into her, and the energy knows exactly what to do to heal her. Mark says that she felt it. Just as soon as she reaches out, she felt it. And then she thinks to herself, good. I'm healed, and Jesus will continue on his way to save this dying girl. But he doesn't. He doesn't. That's actually the moment that Jesus decides to pull the blaring ambulance over and stop. Jesus says, Who touched me? I doubt it was menacing, but he wanted to know. And he was insistent on the fact, like, uh, his disciples were like, Jesus, there's a little girl dying just down the street. Jesus, let's, let's move this train along. And Jesus, they're like, who cares who touched you? A lot of people touched you, Jesus. Jesus, let's just keep on going down the road. But he plants his feet in the ground. He pulls the ambulance over, and he says, who touched me? And it was a long silence. Like one of those, those awkward silences, everybody's looking around the room. Their feet planted. And that's when the nameless woman knows that she's not going to get away with it. And she comes forward. It must have been the defining moment of her life. Because you see what Mark says about her? She's trembling. She's trembling. We don't know, we don't know what she's thinking to herself, but she might have been thinking to herself, he's going to take it back. He's going to take it back. Or, or he, he's going to say, why'd you make me unclean? Or, or he's really going to let me have it. She's trembling and she throws himself at his feet and Jesus looks at her with, with the compassion that only he has. And the story just starts tumbling out of her. You see what Mark says? Mark says that in that moment she told him, pay attention, the whole truth. You've probably been in, in conversations like that where it just starts, it just starts spilling out. Keep in mind, this is a woman who has lost contact with all of community and all of a sudden it's just spilling out. The whole truth. She goes back 12, Jesus, 12 years ago, I started bleeding. I, I tried everything. And she's going on and on and on. And Jesus just listening. Jairus is standing right over here and his daughter's dying. He's looking at her, and it's like, it's like they're the only two people in the whole world. It's like they're having a cup of coffee at Starbucks. She's telling them the whole truth. And then Jesus, Jesus says something amazing. It's the first word that comes out of his mouth that he says to her. He says, he says, daughter. 
It's the only time in the New Testament when Jesus calls someone daughter. And right over here, there's this man with a daughter who's dying, who loves her desperately, and Jesus says, daughter, because he loved this woman just as much, more than this man over here loved his daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has saved you. There's so much that we can learn from this woman's story, so much. I could tell you that we could learn this. We could learn that suffering is good. It's good when it carries us like it did for Jairus. When it carries us like it did for this this nameless woman to the feet of Jesus. If it brings us to the feet of Jesus to plead and to beg, to pray, to praise, to adore. If it brings us there, then it's good. How could it be bad? I could also say this, that that we shouldn't wait to go to Jesus. Did the woman wait? I don't know. Did, 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 did she wait until she had exhausted every medical possibility, till the doctors had, had, had bled her dry, till there was no one left to go to, and then and only then she went to Jesus? We could learn that we shouldn't wait. Because Jesus is the one who can put his hand on whatever the doctors are doing. We could learn that. We, we, could, we could learn that we should hope for more in Jesus. Like, like here's a woman that all, all she wanted to, be, to, 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 to have is his healing, but what Jesus wanted to do is save her. Because she was suffering more from just a malady of bleeding. She was suffering socially, spiritually, financially. The whole thing, and what she really needed, you know what she really needed? More than anything else? To be seen. To, to have the Savior of the world put everything on pause and look her in the eyes and say, you matter. And then to bring her into his family and say, daughter. Jesus not only healed her, but saved her. Here, here's the thing. This is the big point then. That Jesus' timing, and here his timing is to slow everything down, to focus on one woman, to be brought out of the shadows, a woman who had nothing in her bank account, no name, who was socially ostracized, and to show to her, you matter to God. And in this way, you're saved. See, God's timing is perfectly saving. Now, meanwhile, ne- meanwhile, as Jesus is take, take, lo- sort of lollygagging his way on the way to Jairus' house, Jairus is standing over here, and j- the same moment, this is, this is incredible, the same moment that Jesus says, daughter, this man over here is hearing the news. The community comes to him, 
and they say, Jairus, she's dead. And that's exactly how they say it. They say, Jairus, your daughter is dead. And then they add on these words. They say, they say, Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus overhears this and ignores it. And he goes to Jairus and speaks words that need to echo in our hearts today. This is what he says. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I love that. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And then, and then, then Jairus, Jesus makes the two-block trip, whatever it was, to Jairus' house, and he hears this loud commotion, and, and, and he says to people, why are you making so much noise? She's just sleeping. She's not really dead. And they laughed at him. Jesus pays no attention, and he sends them all away. And he goes to the little girl, and he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And I don't think he shouted it. Because I think he spoke words like, like any parent would speak to a sleeping child. It doesn't take much time to wake up. Good morning. Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she gets up. And then since rising from the dead is a hard thing and it, and it makes you hungry, <laughs> Jesus said, give her something to eat. And they did. Now, again, we can learn a lot from Jairus' story. I, I, I could tell you that, that not only the woman expected too little of Jesus, so did Jairus. Jairus is thinking to himself, Jesus, if, if I could just get Jesus to put his hand, while she's still alive, that is, if I could get Jesus to put his hands on her, he could do one of those magic tricks, you know? But, but, but if, he, if he can't get there before she dies, well, that's it. Jesus only has so much power, but he doesn't have power over death. But he does have power over death. Jairus wanted healing. Jesus wanted to give resurrection. His hopes were too low. Jesus gave resurrection. I, I, we could talk a long time about that, or we, we could talk about this. We could talk about the, the importance of having the right people around you during crisis. It's really important. Look at, look at the community that's around Jairus. This is actually a little bit sad. The, the first thing that they say to Jairus doesn't bother me as much. Like, it's a, it's a cold you know, sort of medical report. Jairus, your daughter's dead. In front of everybody. Like, no tact. It wasn't, it wasn't like the, the friends sort of took Jairus aside and, and say, okay, whatever's going, we're going to take him over here. And um, Jairus, you're going to want to sit down for this. We're so sorry to have to tell you this. She's gone. 
That's not what they did. <laughs> they, 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 it, it was so direct, like, Jairus, your daughter's dead. That's one thing. Like, have a little bit of tact. We could complain about that. But what happens next is worse. They say, the, the friends say, say, say to Jairus, Jairus, why bother Jesus anymore? That's worse. Like, just give up on him. He, 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 he doesn't have any power over death. He could have helped her before, but now let's just, just le- let him bug off and do what he's ever going to do, Jairus. Let's just go over here and grieve. Bad friends, bad community in a moment of Christ. You know what we really need in a moment of crisis like that? We need someone to come to us and sit down with us and say, Dear Father, I know you loved her. There can be no doubt about that. But I know who Jesus is. He loves her more. And it is his full intention to raise her up. Be patient. Have faith. Don't be afraid. Only believe. We need people like that in our life. We, we, we need people to, to, to be. This is why we do church. It's one of the reasons why we do church. So that we can have the right people around us in the middle of crisis. So that we don't, we don't speak despair into people's lives. Just give, it, give up on him. But instead that we come with the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's an important point. But here's the biggest point of all. That God is never late. It's about his timing. See, what seemed like a delay was exactly what that woman needed. And what seemed like a a delay in God's timing, like Jairus must have been thinking, we got to go and we got to go now, Jesus, hurry up. But what God intended to do, what Jesus intended to do, wasn't to heal, but to perfectly save. On that day, he saved three people. Isn't that true? At least three. A nameless woman, Jairus, because now he knew, and a little girl. You can trust him. You can trust him. Once he spread out his hands and died for you. Later, he rose from the dead. He knows how to speak life into your life. It may seem like a delay to you for him to act. But his timing is perfectly saving. Let's pray. Jesus, it is so hard for us to wait on you, especially in times of crisis. But we always we know and trust that you're up to something. You died for us. You live for us. 
You have your hand on everything that goes on, and your timing is perfectly saving. Help us not to be afraid, but to believe. Amen. Mm-hmm.